You got your Bible, Romans chapter 15. Let's open it up. Romans chapter 15 as we go through this incredible book of Romans. I hate to say we're winding down after today. We have three weeks left unless Jesus comes back or I die. So we will continue our study though here. Fundamental truths for faithful believers. Fundamental truths for faithful believers. When I was a boy, I loved radios. Now I know this dates me, but I'm okay with that nowadays, okay? A lot of us in our church are okay with that. I can remember when the handheld transistor radios came out. Remember that? Jeff, I'm sure you would remember that. You know what? I was intrigued by those. I thought they were the coolest thing. And one of the things I really found fascinating was, and this was before digital radios, by the way. Now, now you young people, that's all you've ever known, okay? You get it, you got to keep hitting the button, seeking or hitting and searching, seeking, searching, seeking, searching, seeking, till you get to where you want, and then you lock it in as a memory button, okay? We didn't do that back then. We did the much more accurate method. You turn the dial, and you listen, because after all, radios are for listening, right? Not pushing buttons. You turn the dial, and you're until, yes, and here it is, nice and clear. You turn the dial to tune in a station, and all you would hear was static until, until you locked into that station. And then the sound was crystal clear. And it was almost like a little adventure every time you went to search for a station, okay? Because you look forward to it as you're going through all the static. You're looking forward to clarity, clarity, clarity. I want to hear this just the way it should be. And of course, I was of the age to when I realized that you could hook up a bigger speaker to the earphone jack. It wasn't stereo, but it was mono, but the sound was big. And uh, boy, that was great to be able to do that. Well, you know, this idea of tuning until you hear clarity, in much the same way, if we are willing, willing folks, to tune into the Lord through the word of God, he is going to continue to teach us many, many lessons. But in a sense, you have to be on the same wavelength. You have to be willing. You're not listening to all kinds of other stuff or trying to hear through the static No, you're saying, no, you know what? I want to get really dialed in. And that was the term. I want to get dialed in. I want to get tuned in and let the Lord teach me. And this comes to us through seeking and walking with the Lord with our spiritual eyes opened. And it comes through obedience to the scripture. Obedience to the scripture. Who are the ones that get most out of church? Can I tell you? Those who are surrendered to the Lord, those who are open, teachable, those who are willing to change. Those who aren't willing to change, either it just becomes a monotonous exercise or else they leave altogether. That's just the way it is. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the teacher's fault. Remember the parable of the sower? The sower is the same, the Lord. What's he sowing? The seed. The seed is the same, the word. The difference is in the conditions of the soils. And that is the truth of it. That is the truth of it. And by the way, that's not letting preachers and teachers off the hook for doctrinal accuracy and so forth and clarity. All it's saying, though, is, folks, listen, this is a joint thing, and we need to give ourselves to the Lord to get the most out of what he has 
for us. Listen, we should never stop growing and improving as Christians. Never, never, okay? I was saved way back in 1972, and it is a joy for me to continue to grow and to walk with the Lord each and every day. I don't take one day of it for granted. We look forward to it every single day. Romans chapter 15, Paul is continuing, and he says this, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, okay? Remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the church at Rome. These are people who had trusted Christ the Savior. And we're not talking about Roman Catholics. We're talking about people who understood they couldn't earn their way to heaven through ritual. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. And when they did, God gave them eternal life. They became part of the body of Christ and the local assembly there in the city of Rome. Now keep that in mind because Rome was the center of everything at the time, right? And that's where the the persecution went out from, was Rome. And yet here are these believers who Paul says, listen, I've shared great truth with you and take it and apply it. And of course, the beauty of it is they were applying it. Now look at these valuable truths. You see in verse 13, the first is this. Notice that we are challenged to walk by faith. You might say, where do you see that? There it is in the second phrase. Notice where it says, in believing. In believing. In these days in which we live, notice what the Lord will provide for us. In believing. If we will believe him, what's the fruit of that? Joy, peace, hope, okay? Believing is the beginning of our obedience to him. We're not going to obey him if we don't believe what he says. We can believe him because he can't lie. As I mentioned already, God cannot lie. It isn't that he can, but he chooses not to because he's good. No, it is not in the person of the God of heaven, the one true God. It is not in him the ability to lie. So everything he says is truth. And everything you read in scripture is true. The popular song, my redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said, he will do. Why will he do everything he said? Because he's true. He's faithful. Okay. You can take it to the bank. You can believe it. The God, there's no, there's no fine print with God to take something away. Just doesn't work that way. But you see us getting the benefits that God wants us to have. Okay. Joy and peace and hope. Where does it begin? In believing what God says. You have to believe what he says. You see, we as believers, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be people of faith, not people of fear. We should believe the Lord. You might say, well, it's, I, I believe the Lord. It's the unknown that, I, that bothers me. Yeah, and you know what? If we knew everything, uh, we probably wouldn't trust them as much or need to if we knew everything that was gonna take place. But there are some things, folks, that are just in his hands, and there you can't do anything about it except trust in him. And he says, let me tell you something. I will reward you for that. I will reward you for that. We can trust and rest in him and he will fill us with all joy and peace. And this will cause us to abound in, the Bible uses the term hope. It means a joyful anticipation of what God has promised. When the Bible says in hope of eternal life, it's not talking about, well, I hope I make it. No, it's in joyful anticipation of eternal life, which God 
that cannot lie promised. You see how that fits? The biblical concept of hope is way bigger than we think in terms of hope in a natural realm. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What does that mean? It doesn't mean this, folks, that if you at times fear, you're a coward, you're a wimp, you're a no-count. It's not saying that because we all fear at times. What it's saying, though, is this. When you find yourself fearful, check yourself. Check yourself. Because what happens is our imaginations cause us to drift, right? So easy. We all do it. I do it. We all do it. Verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another, okay? Paul had confidence in these believers that they were able to serve the Lord and to properly function as a local church. He had confidence. Why? Because if their faith was in the Lord and in his word, there was no reason for them to fail. And as a matter of fact, failure is not a matter of numbers. Failure in the Christian life is a matter of are we being faithful and loyal to the Lord or not, okay? God doesn't measure success in the Christian life by numbers. He measures success by faithfulness. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? Okay, So he had confidence in them, and he expressed this view of them also in chapter 1 when he said in chapter 1, I believe it was verse 8, he said that they're, this is amazing. Now, you know, you read things in Scripture, stop and think about them. We talked about that Wednesday, didn't we? Listen, he said their faith, the Roman church, their faith was known of throughout the whole world. Wait a minute. They didn't have internet. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have TV, satellite TV. They didn't have cell phones or smartphones or dumb phones or whatever. They didn't have them. What did they have? Mouth, feet, and this church had such an impact. Why? Because they believed God and they were faithful with what they got. They believed God and they were faithful with what they had and the abilities they had. And they made an impact on the world through their faithfulness with the gospel through their faithfulness in giving people talked about them boy those believers at rome they're really something you know what folks that's quite a compliment for any church isn't it we hear from people all over the world who watch or listen to our broadcast and we're very grateful for each one and i don't say that in any way boasting in no way what i'm saying though is this you know what honestly isn't that the least we can do with the technology we have I mean, yeah, our faith is spoken of throughout all the world. Well, yeah, we've got the internet. That's not hard to do nowadays. But folks, the church at Rome, no cars, nothing. They were faithful. And we can be faithful. If they can be faithful, why can't we? Verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind. He says, I want you to remember this because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit ghosts or the Holy Spirit. So fundamental truths for faithful believers. What's the first one? The first one is we are challenged to walk by faith. Nothing else is going to get done until we are. 
to walk by faith. But secondly, you notice here in verses 15 and 16, the grace of God, the grace of God is given to us so that we can serve the Lord effectively. And in verses 15 and 16 in particular, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Now listen, preaching the gospel and and leading souls to Christ is not a matter of charisma. It's not a matter of dynamics. It's a matter of clarity. Simply sharing what God says in love, speaking the truth in love to another human being. This is where it's at. And how can we do that? By the grace of God. Christian, listen, I say this to all of us. Don't ever say, well, I've tried. I just can't witness. No, you can witness. Are you depending upon the Lord that he would provide the grace or let me put it this way more accurately, that by his grace, he would pour out his unmerited favor and kindness on you and give you, by his grace, the ability to faithfully serve him. And by the way, the answer to that is yes, he will, and he does. And folks, anybody who's got a spiritual mind understands anything I accomplish is by the grace of God. That's not false humility. At times you'll hear preachers say that and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's supposed to say that because he's a preacher. Listen, if he's truly a godly man, you know what? He means it when he says it. And he wants all glory and honor and praise to go to the Lord because he understands that without the Lord, we can do nothing. And that is what the Bible says, by the way. Hold your place and look at 1 Corinthians 15. You know, we talk about Paul a lot, don't we? The great apostle, always a great person. Some people, are they almost put him on the same level as Jesus. That's a mistake. Paul was a sinner saved by grace, but he was somebody who had, he let the Lord have his way in Paul's life, and God used him in a mighty way. Even with all the trouble and tragedy that Paul went through, you want to know a little bit about it, read 2 Corinthians 11 sometime, 2 Corinthians 11. But here's what he said, and this is a key, folks. This is a key. We're going to spend a little time on this one. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, the grace of God is what gives us the ability so we can serve the Lord effectively and preach the gospel, all right? Uh, Back to Romans chapter 15, and we'll see this as we go through here. In verse 17, it says, I have therefore, or excuse me, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to to God. For I will dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He's talking about the fruit he had seen in his ministry. He says it's by the grace of God. God has done it, okay? I don't even want to talk about it if we don't realize that it was what the Lord did. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. But where did it begin, him being able to fully preach the gospel of Christ? It began with the grace of God. God saving him by his grace and then empowering him by his grace. All true ministry, effective ministry has to be done. 
that way. Listen, the Lord does not save us so we can simply be saved. He saves us so he can use us and bring glory to himself. We have been created, the Bible says, for his honor, for his glory. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20? What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? My body belongs to him. What does it say? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's all from the Lord. Now back to verse 19, there's a phrase I want us to look at because maybe you've got a little question mark in your mind, this thing about signs and wonders. You might say, oh, well, I guess there, I guess there is a place. Uh, maybe the prosperity preachers and all this weird stuff, maybe, um, you know, maybe they are legit. Well, no. No, they're not. They're charlatans. Okay, most preachers won't say that, but I'll say it because it's true. Friend, listen, you are not a faith healer. You're a fake healer, okay? Now, in the time of the apostles, there were these gifts. They were real. There was no doubt about it. But the stuff today, the Benny Hins, the Kenneth Copelands of the world, and these people, they get these people, and the people come up, and they, they put their hand on their head, and they fly backwards, and they, they gyrate on the ground and all that. That's more a picture of demon possession than it is. Now, I'm not saying they are demon possessed. I'm just saying, folks, you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's nowhere. When God healed, that did not take place. Not only that, but I, as I always do when I cover this issue, bring it up again. Friend, if you believe you have this gift, I want you to meet me at St. Cloud Hospital. We will start on the top floor and we will work our way down. We'll go with permission, with masks nowadays. They finally let the preachers come back to the hospital this week. It's insane. Anyway... I understand it, though. Here's the point. Friend, if you've got this, you go in with me, and we will go room by room by room, and I want you to clean out that hospital. If you have the gift of healing like the apostles did, I want you to clean it out. Listen, I've been putting this call out for over 40 years, and I've never had one take me up on it. Never had one. Why? Because they can't do it. They're always healing somebody, usually far away, sometimes around, but supposedly it's something you can't see. It's not an amputated limb that grows back. It's something you can't see. It's something they've got a mass in their inside, and then they feel healing, and, and, and it goes away, supposedly. All right? Now listen, I am for divine healing, and we, we believe in divine healing in this church. Do we understand that? If God wants to heal somebody, he can heal that person. And we pray for healing, and we have prayed for healing, and we have seen God heal people. But sometimes it's not his will that a person gets healed. Now, these early disciples and apostles, they did have this gift. They did have signs. They did do signs and wonders, but it was to confirm that the word they were preaching was legitimately from God might say, where do you get that? Hold your place and look at Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I'm covering this. I could cover a couple other passages, but because of time, we're not going to. If you want a detailed study on the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, and all of that, I would recommend you listen or watch our series on 1 Corinthians, verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 12 through 14 in particular, and we deal with this every single verse, and we also go over into Acts chapter 2 about speaking in tongues there, okay? Do you believe people are speaking in tongues today? No, I've never seen it. Now, I know there are people who say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, that's a good question, because biblical tongues was an actual language of the time, it was a language of the time where the person was, had the ability, that believer, you had to be a believer, number one, you had the ability to speak in a language you'd never learned. That was the gift, okay? It wasn't some ecstatic thing where you don't know what you're saying or you just have this emotional thing. That's not the gift. That's something else. I'm not sure what that is, but that's not the biblical gift. That's gone. It was here. I don't believe it exists today, although I will say, if God wanted to, could he jump in and do that sometime, somewhere, someplace on the planet when he wanted to do it? He's God. He could do that. But overall, and I would say, when you see it, it's probably not the real deal. You got to judge it by what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Who are those? Those are the believers at the time, those who trusted Jesus as their Messiah at the time when Jesus was here, which would include the apostles. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Now, I believe the sign gifts are gone. I do believe God is still giving spiritual gifts to the body of Christ, but I think the sign gifts are gone. What do you mean sign gifts? Gifts that were given, such as tongues, healings, etc., they were gifts and they were signs that the word being preached were legit, okay? I think those are off the scene now that we have the completed word of God. So, getting back to our text here in um, Romans... I hope you followed me on that. If you have any questions, feel free to ask and be glad to answer those. But in verse 19 again, through many signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Which brings us in verse 19, it brings us to our third point and it is this. God uses those who are available and obedient. It's just that simple. God uses those who are available and and obedient. If your availability is a qualified ability, God will not use you in the same way as somebody else who says, as Isaiah did, here am I, Lord, send me. A surrendered heart, a surrendered will to God. Lord, use me. I want to be used of you. With the days I have left, I want to be used of you. If that's where you're at, God will use you. Here we see the importance of balance in Scripture, okay? Getting back to this idea of by the grace of God. We labor with God, okay? We do not do all the work, okay? We're not talking about, as a Christian, becoming a busy aunt. Now, I don't mean aunt versus uncle. I mean the little guy that you see crawling around. Where I'm just a busy aunt, or I'm a busy bee, busy bee, busy bee. Friend, listen, if you are not doing what you're doing, by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, that work is not going to last. The balance of Scripture is this. We labor together with God. We do not do all the work, and yet we do not just yield to him and sit there and expect to be moved. There's a fellowship of service, and this is 
one of the thrills of the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, for we are laborers together with God. Do you see that? We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Some people, they learn enough scripture and then they become dangerous with it. They know a few verses, but they don't understand how it all fits together and they start teaching false things like the Christian's only responsibility is to yield to God and and obedience is not involved because when you talk about obeying God, yet the Bible uses the term, when you talk about obeying God, that's legalism then. No, friend, legalism is a self-righteous attitude. That's what legalism is. You're self-righteous. You're depending upon yourself. You're not depending upon him. You think highly of yourself. That's legalism. That's the idea. You're judging others by yourself. That's legalistic attitude. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is biblical. But here's how God wants us to do it. Lord, and here's a key word, Lord, help me as I obey you. You know what? What are you doing? Is that not faith? Prayer is the purest exercise of faith that there is. Lord, help me in obeying your word. That's it. And when we do that, we are laboring, look up here, together with God. So he's the one who's providing the strength, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge, the boldness. He is the one providing it, and we are working with him. Let's say you had a a three-year-old boy. Pastor Dave, how old is Landy? He's four. Okay, we'll we'll use Landy, uh, second to the last grandchild. And um, as far as we know. But uh, (laughs) there's, there's Landy. He loves the, I mentioned this last week, he loves when Pastor Dave is mowing his yard, Landy's got his little mower and he follows him and, you know, next to him or whatever, just, you know, daddy's doing it. Well, you know, if, if Pastor Dave said to Landy, okay, here, here's the real lawnmower, he would never do that because he's a smart dad, not a dumb dad. Four years old. Don't let your four-year-old do that with a real mower. But anyways, let's say he did. And Landy got behind it, and there's a good chance he may not even be able to push that thing unless it's one of the self-propelled types. If it was one of the old ones, probably wouldn't he be able to push it. And certainly it would be awkward, and it would be a struggle. But you know what? If Pastor Dave says, okay, you hold on here, and I don't even recommend this, but you do what you want on this. You hold on here, and then I will hold on here. And when you know what? If the father is pushing the mower and controlling it, That boy's going to have a lot more success, isn't he? That's probably a bad illustration. I come up with the bad ones when I don't have it in my notes. (laughs) Anyway, here's the point. You get the picture. We need the Father's help. We need the Father's strength. We need the grace of God to faithfully serve the Lord. But the grace of God is available to us. Therefore, there's no excuse for us not to serve the Lord. God will use us. It's a wonderful truth. Let me give you several examples of what God will not do for you. Can I share this with you? Very important. Because sometimes we pray bad things. Not bad things, but things that don't make sense. There's a a book. It's a good book. It's a good book. Little book. It's called Sense and Nonsense. 
about prayer. I think it was written by Lehman Strauss, I think, the late Lehman Strauss. Anyway, and he talks about things to pray for that make sense and things not to pray for. But let me give you three that come to my mind right off the bat. Here's one. People have prayed this over the years. Lord, make me a soul winner. That's a wrong prayer. Did you know that? Wait a minute, pastor. That's, we should be winning souls. We should be leading people to Christ. No, it's really a wrong prayer. It should be this. Lord, I want to be obedient in this area of my life. Lord, help me be courageous and faithful. Will you help me to cry for help? That's biblical. But as far as us actually moving our feet or opening our mouth, as the Bible says, that's up to us. The beauty of it is God will help us do it. But see, here's what happened. Lord, make me so. When I, you know, I asked the Lord to help me and all that, and, and I, just, uh, I just, you know, I still, I won't do it or this or that, and so God failed me. No, God never fails. Friend, God never fails. Let's quit playing those kind of games. Here's another one. Lord, put my marriage back together. I'd say, Pastor, what's wrong with that? He can't just, and it's done. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take some real honesty and courage and some tears and some changes and some apologies, heartfelt apologies, some real change of mind, repentance, And God can bring that, yes, God can bring that couple together. But the appropriate prayer would be this, Lord, we are crying out to you, Lord, please help us, help us. Whatever you want us to do, let us know it, let us see it, and we will do it, yes. And then you'll be able to say, the Lord helped us do this. The Lord, and you'll give the credit to him, yes, But is he just going to magically do it? He's not going to do it, folks. He's not going to do it. We labor together with God. We share the gospel together with God. Here's another one. Lord, make my children turn out right. What? Boy, that's an easy one to shirk to responsibility. No, friend. He will help us do the job. He will provide all we need for a fruitful and a biblically successful life and a biblically successful Christian home. But we have to really pay attention to it and trust him and pray. And sometimes it's an agonizing prayer. Oh, I can remember the, uh, the few times, there weren't a lot, but I can remember the few times when, when we were starting to see destructive attitudes in the lives of our girls. And I am telling you folks, my wife and I, we were sweating bullets. We were scared. We were concerned. We were concerned. We were losing sleep. Oh, God, help us. He did. He did. But we had to be courageous. We had to apply. Even when it was inconvenient, parents, and by the way, parenting is inconvenient if you're going to do it right, but it's worth it. See, here's the truth. He will always be faithful. The question is, will we be faithful? He will always be faithful by his grace to provide everything we need. But the question is, will we be faithful laboring together with him, walking with him by faith? We trust him and we obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What a song. It doesn't say when we walk alone from God. No, it's when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. 
The core is trust and obey. There's no other way. That's how we live the Christian life. It has to be that way. And folks, you know what the beauty of that is? When we see success, here's what happens. Because we did it right, when we see success, our hearts are filled with love and devotion and thanksgiving to him. And we know it is to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And we really mean it. It's not just Christianese. And there's the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that comes from that. And we just sit there and we just bask in awe of what God has done. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. That's why Paul was the way he was. Let's go back to our text. Romans 15, 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel... Paul says, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. It leads us to our last major point, and it is this one. The Lord is looking for a pioneer spirit. Now, I don't know if I coined that phrase as far as the Christian life or not. I don't think I did. I think I got it from somebody and I can't remember where. Here's the thing. The Lord is looking for a pioneer spirit in his people. What do I mean? Well, Paul had this. He wanted to go where no one had heard the gospel. And this is one of the most important truths that there needs to be, especially in the United States when we are starting and when when. I have to rephrase this because I was about to say when we are starting a new church. We're not starting a new church. But when someone is starting a new church, this is one of the most important things that that person has to have, okay? And a pastor needs to pray that God would bring their way those who would have a pioneer spirit. Because without a pioneer spirit, and it breaks my heart, because there are few Christians today who have a pioneer spirit. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Here's what I mean. They understand their message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They understand the importance of eternal security, the teaching of the two natures, pre-trib, pre-millennial rapture. We understand these things. We understand the importance of our doctrinal statement. And so uh, somebody goes, a couple goes to an area to start a church that's going to stand on these things and honor God. And friend, they can serve and they can labor by grace. They do it all right. But if they do not get people who are willing to listen and believe, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Believe what can be. It's not going to happen. That young pastor and his wife can lead souls to Christ. And you know what they do a lot of the time? Here's what happens. I'm so glad I'm saved. Okay, let's see. Um, Well, you know what? Yeah, you know, we like you guys and, and we appreciate it, but you know, this church over here, they've got all these programs for our family. We appreciate all you've done, but we're going to go there. Those people have no idea what they have done to that couple. We need people with a pioneer spirit who will say, you know what? There's nothing here, but God can do this. Paul had a pioneer spirit, right? He went and he said, you know what? God's will is to establish local churches and by the grace of God, I'm gonna let him use me to do that. And so he went places, led people to Christ, taught the word of God. People believed what was being preached, obeyed the word of God and great churches 
were started. We started our church in 1981 here, and um, we floundered for several years, and then God worked and brought some people into our lives, and then brought some people locally when we were transitioning and struggling very much as a church. I can remember early days, uh, uh, Pastor and Christy Trout, they were uh, one of the couples, the Ratcliffs, Jeff and Joanne, they came from California at just the right time. And Arnie and Bonnie came, what was it, 84, 85? These things were happening. And these are people who had been with us and stayed with us. Of course, the Ratcliffs moved away, but that's fine, I get that, okay? The thing is, they're in a good church and they're still serving the Lord. That's the key, right? But here's the point. People who had a pioneer spirit and we were meeting in a smelly, stinky Boys and Girls Club, and it was where that boxing place is on Wilson Avenue. That's where we're meeting. And you'd walk in there, and there were all the, the gym clothes and the sneakers of all the kids during the week at the Boys and Girls Club. And you walk in, and the first thing you hit was this major cloud of B.O. <laughs> and every Saturday night, we would have to go in, and we would have to move pinball machines, and they're not light. And tear down all this stuff, and then put seats up. And we were so blessed when we got our first set of seats, okay, folding chairs. I mean, that was a big deal for us to have folding chairs. Folding chairs and then hymnals even. But you see, you might say, well, I don't get that. If you were there, you'd get it. The sacrifice and the prayer and, and the ups and downs and the battles between then and now. What has God done? This is his work. This is his work. But God took some people who had a pioneer spirit who stuck it out through thick and thin, okay? And we served the Lord together, and what happened? God blessed, why? Because trusted him, wanted him to get the glory. Yes, we're faithful, but faithful by the grace of God. And so we can say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done, okay? It's his church, we know that, but God is sure blessed. God is sure blessed. Pioneer spirit. Oh, wait, there was another point. Number five is this, we must be willing to let the Lord alter our plans and calendars. We must be willing to let the Lord alter our plans and calendars. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? I'm almost embarrassed to say it. Are we willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of a lost soul? We live in a day when most people are not. Most Christians are not. Now I know many of you are, and God bless you, and I'm very grateful for each and every one of you where, you know what, I was planning on doing this and this, but God brought this person along my path, and I talked to them, they trusted Christ as Savior, I was able to share the gospel, give them a track or whatever. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of a soul? If not, why not? Why not? There's no better reason to be inconvenienced than the salvation of a soul, okay? Verse 23, now, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, boy, he wasn't slowing down, was he? I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But I now go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. You see, folks, and by the way, this issue of gratefulness the saints of Jerusalem were in need. Paul says, I'm going there to help them. Verse 26, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution 
for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. What's he getting at here? Well, church history, okay? The church, the body of Christ, the church age started in Jerusalem. And the fruit of their labors at Jerusalem had reached all the way to the saints of Rome. It was because of that early work that was done that people in Rome were benefiting. And Paul says, you know what? The least we can do, the least you guys can do, you've benefited. Let's bless them. They're in need now. The first church, so to speak. The first church. They're in need now. The least we can do is help them because we are beneficiaries of what they did. Verse 28. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. By the way, do you notice this? And by the way, to the day he died, Paul's enemies never gave up being his enemies. His entire Christian life, he was being plagued and chased by wolves. I'm talking about theological wolves, religious people who were lost. You might say, why would a guy put up with something like that? Here's the reason. Here was the bottom line with him. It's because, friend, he saw the value of a soul because he at one time was a lost soul who did not know where he was going when he died. Are you in that situation this morning? Are you in that situation? You don't know where you're going when you die? Can I just show you this? Made sense to me when I was 19. Somebody cared enough, cared enough to dedicate his life to sharing this good news. And when I understood it and I believed that I was passed from death unto life, eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. Watch this, look up here. This hand represents you and me. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. God loves us though, he hates our sin. God wants us to live with him forever in heaven because he loves us. God is a God of love, yes he is. But to get there we have to be sinless and none of us are. So what are we gonna do? Well, God says we violated his word, we've sinned against him and there's a penalty that goes with that, the wages of sin being death. You'd be separated from God forever. Scriptures say that if heaven's a perfect place, can't get in unless you're sinless and we're not, we're basically, we're sunk. That's why your good works can't save you. Because you could take a whole lifetime of good works and pile it on top of your sin, but the sin's still there. You can't get into heaven with any sin. It's got to be gone. It's got to be removed. So what are you going to do? Well, John 3, 16. Look at it. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. This hand representing Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, sinless, Jesus came into the world and he went to the cross and all the sin you've ever done or ever will do, he died and paid for it in your place so you don't have to pay for it. He came, he took it upon himself and he made that payment. 
And he rose from the grave three days later. And he says, if you will believe, trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, he makes you two promises. You will not perish. Go to hell. But have everlasting life. You have everlasting life the moment you trust in Christ. And you'll experience the fullness of that once you get to heaven. Look up here again. For God so loved the world, it's us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, would you trust him today? Listen, friend, your good works cannot save you. The wages of sin is only one thing. It's death. A death payment has to be made. You're either going to have to spend forever separated from God, suffering, or you're going to accept the payment Jesus made for your sin. And when you do, he'll give you everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. It's free. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Love it. If you've never trusted Christ, please do it today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.